0: Do, 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 do. Good afternoon, everybody. Good evening. Give me, give me a second here to, okay, push my buttons. Okay, happy Sunday. Here we are again. Everybody survived the weekend. It was a lot cooler this weekend for me. I like cooler weekends. Still felt a little ill. I was out. I was out driving the other day, and I don't do heat well. So um... even what little exposure I had to it, I got. Kind of sick so i've been down for a couple days but uh, i feel much better today anyhow we got a good show and my name is charlotte i'm going to be your host for the next hour and sundays are a little different for california haunts radio because we read a book from an author that's paranormal based and uh the author tonight hannah maria manalo we've read her stuff before her first book and uh, that was really excellent it had to do with uh, world war ii and some ghosts in the forest and things like that tonight's book is kind of near and dear to my heart because i collect antiquities um roman and greek and i have had my own issues because because i collect those i have had some major issues in this house and uh yeah i've had contact with weird stuff Psychics so come in and ask me who the who the roman soldiers are sitting on my couch you know things like that so you can never be too sure about and antiquities and antiques that you get. We have a table in my dining room that, I don't know where they got it from, but it's got something attached to it. So, I mean, my, my dining room has has like two ghosts in there. So, um, yeah, so you never know when you buy old stuff. And I, I've always been adamant about not purchasing like an, antiques and antiquities and whatnot, but I got into it, like, because at one time you could get Roman stuff really, really easy. Coins, You know, and stuff that's not um, museum-grade because they have to patch it, you know, put patches on it. So it was going really cheap on eBay, so I was snagging all kinds of stuff. And as it turned out, a psychic friend of mine came over, and there used to be an old desk chair in there from my dad's. um, It's still in there, I think, from from my dad's uh, desk. And uh, a psychic walked in one day and said, there's someone, or something sitting over that chair that has, you know, a gold like the gold armor on it has a red plume on it, and I just went, "Oh my gosh, it's a centurion." So we took, we handle that, but I mean, that's what can happen when you have antiques or antiquities in your house. You you don't know what's attached to it. I did a case out in Vacaville years ago, and was uh, with my team, and the bureau. It had one of those old bureaus things with the mirrors and stuff. Turns out that the psychic that went with us saw blood on the Bureau and that he hit this guy had, I guess chopped up his kids and stuffed the body parts or his wife has stuffed the body parts in, in the drawers of this Bureau that this woman had. And she had all kinds of paranormal activity in her house. So that was another antique no, no, you know, and she ended up getting rid of it because of, because of that. So you never know what you're going to buy and buyer beware. And I know I used to work up in Placerville and I know there was a couple, there were one or two haunted antique shops up there, you know, from having stuff that they, obtained that was active. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, Anna Maria manalo's book um, is about people that have purchased haunted antiques or antiquities. So uh, we'll get a couple more minutes for people to come in the room and then we'll get started. Um, I also I am the owner of the I will say paranormal <laughs> I'm the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal investigation team based out of Sacramento, California. We are 45 strong up and down the state. Let me get my mic settled here. We're 45 strong up and down the state and we can help you with whatever paranormal need that you have. All right, I have a staff of 6 mediums along with the other 45 team members that come from varying backgrounds. So we're not just going in to say you have ghosts. We're going in to really check your place out to make sure whether it's ghosts or whether it's it's that, you know, natural occurring things or whether it's man-made things causing the causing the issues. So that's what we do. So if you're, you know, if you think you might have a problem, get a hold of me either at uh, CaliforniaHaunts.org, CaliforniaHauntsRadio.com, Facebook, wherever you can get a hold of me. Okay. But anyway, let me get in here, and I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not going to. If anybody comes in the chat room for this, I'm not going to be able to monitor it because the book is on a PDF, and so I'll be reading off the PDF on on my laptop here. So um, there was no way for me to monitor this. Okay. So uh okay so without further ado let me start the book and then we'll read for about an hour and that's going to do it and we'll continue next week we just finished lizzie borden last weekend long book great book lots of detail about lizzie borden if you haven't if you missed some of those or haven't heard the book yet go on back and check through the archives you know if if you're watching from if if, if you uh, listen via the podcast check out the podcast archives on that We also have a California Haunts RSS site where you can access. It's a a separate website. All right. And please, if you're watching this from Facebook, please be sure to hit that like button or that follow button. If you're watching from YouTube, uh, we do this every Sunday. Uh, And You're interested in other stuff because we not only read books, (laughs) we talk about different topics. And uh, I think there's something on our YouTube page for everybody. So there's a little man in the bottom right-hand corner with a magnifying glass. Little man, little ghost hit that, that will subscribe you to our stuff over on, excuse me, over on our YouTube page. Alright? And if you haven't been to our YouTube page, you should go over and visit it. And if you have trouble finding it, which some people do, go to CaliforniaHuntsRadio.com, click on the video that's on the front page, and that'll take you over to the YouTube site. Okay? But like I said, there's almost 400 videos. We've been doing this. This is our third season. I think we're starting our third season doing this. In fact, I'm pretty sure it's our third season now, doing this. And... We've got four, almost 400 videos sitting over there. Different topics, different types of guests, something for everybody. All right. Okay. All right. Like I said, I'm not going to be able to see who's in the chat room, nor am I going to be able to respond. So I'm going to set up the PDF right now so we can get going on this. And uh, I hope you enjoy the book as much as I do. All right. Let me see what I can do here. Back where to go? I think that's it. Okay. (laughs) There our little bugger is. Okay. So the book is called, let me go up to the top here. Like I said, I'm not going to be able to answer questions or anything. So let me get up here. The book is called, no, that's not the book. The book is called Haunted Heirlooms by Anna Maria Manalo is the book. So let's just jump. I don't know if you guys want to hear the introduction or we just go to the first story. Do you guys want to hear the introduction on this? Let's see. Uh uh Uh-huh, 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 okay. All right. We got a forward on here. Let's see what the forward says. All right, let's go ahead and do the... Let's start with the forward, then we'll try the introduction, and we'll just start rolling that way. All right, I'm going to go ahead and enlarge this, so I'm going to lean forward into your faces real quick. So I can do the enlarging on here on my screen. See, that's one thing, guys. Here's, here's something to tell you all as if if you're blind like I am, best thing they ever invented was touchscreen computers. Okay, here's the forward. So let's do this. And the forward is by Jim Harold. So let's read the forward. I have always loved thrifting, but my enthusiasm has been dampened a bit in recent years. First, while I love antiques, my dear wife, Dar, classifies most as old junk. While I voice voice this ferociously, I'm trying to say these words, I'm sorry. (laughs) Any other day I can say the words. While I disagree with this, (laughs) she has an excellent eye for interior design, and I mostly go with her thinking about furnishing our home. Though I believe antiques can be quite lovely when artistically placed together in a room, I'm not anyone's idea of an interior designer. Still, that's not the main reason I've become less of a collector in my middle age. The other reason is a bit more sinister. I'm a professional podcaster who has done over 2,000 episodes of programs dealing with the supernatural. And this time, I have interviewed great thinkers on the questions of hauntings and haunted objects. Guests like the late, great Rosemary Ellen Guiley and the haunted collector himself, John Zappas, have appeared on the Paranormal Podcast. These and others have brought great light to heirlooms that come along with something a little extra. Also on my show, Jim Harrell's campfire, I have interviewed many experiencers about their encounters with haunted objects. Stories have included the Ouija board that walked across the floor and refused to burn in the fireplace, or that of a young girl terrorized by a lamp in the form of a female flamenco dancer who would come alive at night and traumatize a young victim. Yikes! These harrowing accounts and my wife's resistance have significantly reduced my acquisition of antiques. First, I believe my wife might draw up papers should I bring too many old items into our home. More to the point, I think I might actually bring something into our home. This is why I was thrilled when Anna Marie Manalo asked me to write the foreword to Haunted Heirlooms. The subject resonates with me. In these pages, you will find Anna Maria's and others' accounts about their encounters with extremely haunted objects. What I found most compelling here were the stories from antique aficionados are not easily spooked by old items. They have likely seen, held, bought, and sold thousands of them. However, as you will soon learn, each in their own way was impacted profoundly by their haunted heirloom experience. Enjoy Anna Maria's stellar work here. Then, when you visit that quaint little antique store next time, consider what spiritual stowaways might be riding along when you take that great bargain home. Jim Harold, host, of Jim Harrell's Campfire Paranormal Podcast, April twenty twenty two. Introduction. And this is by Anna Maria. An unceasing wanderlust to travel the world seized me while on the school tour of Italy after college graduation. Okay, it went on from that first European trip with a school friend in tow to several trips overseas. Finally well into my forties into now. I unwittingly met locals and travelers alike who regaled me with their stories during overnight stops, dinners, and the like. I subsisted on travel photography jaunts at some point. Hang on a sec. I got lost. Okay, taking on assignments that led me to the most cultural spots on earth. By the time I was in my early fifties, I had decided to take the opportunity to leave my tenure as a as a change of venue, seeing myself stunted, if not outright appalled, by an archaic environment that presented ironically as a public school system. That rigid mentality suppressed my deep desire to remain creative and open to new ideas and worlds. So here I am, a scribe of books, largely based on accounts shared with me from parts of the globe, parts of my adopted country, and regions of the Philippines, my country of birth. Some are historical, some contemporary, but nevertheless rich with atmosphere, strangeness, an inexplicability they're a part of they're a part of our world that remains hidden excuse me that remains hidden until tragedy opens them to view. This particular book you have in your hands or your particular book you're listening to okay concentrates on the states collectively referring to as New England, where I resided in the late 70s as a teen and later as a young college co-ed. I thank God for imparting me a discerning eye for a riveting story that avoids telling, as well as the ability to tease it out of, old, out of the original storyteller. It was inspired by my first encounter with an antique piece of furniture, which I obtained from a dubious vendor. I was studying at a small Jesuit university at the time with a budding desire to own vintage furniture objects, the art, and fine bone china. It isn't often that an, intent, that an interest would stay with me long, from year to year, or decade to decade, as I matured, as I matured, but among those, the joy of perusing antiques stayed with me, as I loved beautiful objects and superb craftsmanship. My passion to travel to far-flung destinations and to seek distinctive objects led me to meet some interesting, often highly educated or self-educating and erudite individuals, who had circled the globe themselves. While an independent travel photographer. I had the privilege to meet well-read, informative, inquisitive individuals. Some imparted stories that compelled me to stay longer than, than I intended, and prodded me, as a trained, therapeutic interviewer later in my career, to ask questions that led to more questions. Enthralled as I was during visits to their shops, and in some cases the graciousness of their homes, the final result is the book you, the reader, are going to hear. However, as you will soon discover, Works this distinctive and often precious are often imbued with the former owner's energy or even followed by the original owner themselves. The kind of owner who no longer breathes, no longer drinks, or shares dinner with their family or friends. Okay, all right. Having passed away, their homes were probably sold or auctioned. For me, or for most, the material objects that punctuated their lives stay behind in a dusty, cupboard, in the living room of a descendant, or are part of a vendor sale. For some of the objects, the deceased owner somehow felt an indelible attachment to the piece of craftsmanship or work of art or both. When that happens, whoever desires to become the next owner faces a challenge. The first narrative is my own foray into the unknown form of a beautiful, brocaded queen and chair. The next four are from respected small antique dealers and their shops. I thank each and every one of them for sharing their experiences with me as a fellow antique aficionado. Though I changed names and kept the locations obscure for their sakes, the narrative comes straight from their hearts. I hope you enjoy this book as much as I have enjoyed writing it. Anna Marie Manalo, March 16th, 2022. La Costa, France. La Costa, France. So here we go. The Queen Anne Wing Chair, Part 1, Chapter 1. While living in Connecticut, I often visited and browsed through several estate sales, flea markets, and unique shops of higher, antique shops of higher vintage. Parts of Connecticut, as well as Rhode Island, Massachusetts, Vermont, and Maine, which I had the opportunity to visit, are replete with fine antiques. By virtue of their history and the formation of the first American colonies, these areas are treasure troves, but also, by geography, have their share of fine and rare objects from Europe. I was always open to the unusual, as well as objects made overseas and far off Europe and Asia, the latter continent, where I was born and raised. How these distinctive and valued possessions came to be in the hands of the current seller always intrigued me. Sadly, during that time, Sadly, during that time of my salad days, I often subsisted on dormitory meals, as they were included in my tuition, and worked part-time as a per diem at the local mental health hospital in order to gain some semblance of income. This employment at the same time allowed me to garner experience and insight, as psychology was my major. Faced, oh, I'm sorry, freed a bit from financial restrictions, I would join my roommate and friends for that occasional hop on the train to New, to New York, which was a mere thirty-minute train ride on the Metro North. The city proved to be a mecca of antiques as well, but these visits were fruitless as they were out of my financial league. That being the case, I confined my antique searches, a world before the internet, to local shops and flea markets in the small but picturesque towns of Connecticut. And nearby New England states. Today, it would not have mattered, as Connecticut now has a lifestyle that commands a high-end bracket of income. Despite the limitations of my funds, I remained undeterred from traipsing through vintage and flea market antiques, some questionable in origin, and kept close to the vest of the unknown seller. My interest in these found objects. Okay, my interest in these found objects spurned a desire to observe, learn, and finally plan to someday acquire some of these fine collections. At that time, antiques of interest to me included furniture, which proved even dearer, or as the French would say, plus cher. Meanwhile, I learned all I could, and in doing and in so doing, found myself separating from my group of friends to take the lonely bus or train to not-so-often-visited to not spots where these markets and shops were located away from clubs, pubs, and clothes shopping. Dusty, cluttered, musty, and dark places were often the type of shops I entered a, lest they be open air of a summer outdoor market, which I found more pleasing, but not often. On one of these outdoor flea market forages, with the companionship of a friend with a vehicle, we wandered into one of the seaside towns of Picture postcard Connecticut, on a raw and blustery fall day. Upon arrival at the open festive of sorts, I'm sorry, upon arrival at the Open Festival of sorts, we wove through and perused one outdoor spread of vintage objects after another. Hours later, I stumbled upon a cushioned chair that appeared to be a Queen Anne in style, softly but firmly padded in brocade fabric with cherry wood legs and wings on both sides of the seat back. I queried the silent vendor who offered for me to sit on the article of furniture. It appeared to be in sound condition. I quickly surmised that the piece of furniture brocaded in the ashes of roses pink with a spray of small flowers was out of my my funding league, until I asked. I was astounded to find that the chair, in fact, was only $35. I swiftly dug into my shoulder bag, a leather affair purchased at another flea market in a borough of Brooklyn, having handed the paltry sum saved over from my per deem job at the hospital, the seller's frown turned to a semblance of a grin. I, of course, in my late teens, did not query, out of eagerness, about the history of the said object furniture nor did I care, at the time, its actual value or its true vintage, as beggars can't be choosers, as the saying goes. It was sturdy, appeared moth-free, as I recall, and had a very comfortable seat, considering its supposed advertised age. I doubt, I doubt the vendor, a weathered man of indeterminate age who was huddled in the back of a pockmarked flatbed truck which reeks of cigars, would volunteer or know the origins of my object of joy. I picked up the chair which stank of the man's cigars on closer inspection, and a male friend proceeded to haul it into the back of his Beetle convertible, happy to move on to the next and more interesting destination, a beer pub for lunch. It was not until I got back to the dormitory, an old women's haven of English majors, art, and history buffs, and a sordid group of straight-laced pre-meds, that I discovered the chair came with an occupant. So begins my story. Now duly blessed with me as the proud owner, the chair sat in the corner of my, by my sole window of my private dorm room. I plunked the white pillow pillow I had inherited from my mother's, from my mother's boudoir, boudoir, I'm sorry if I'm saying it wrong, onto the study seat back, ready and waiting for a visitor, right next to my dorm room desk in a swivel chair I'd salvaged from a retiring professor. A welcome addition, I thought, as it served as an additional seat for visiting friends and family, other than my desk chair and bed, other than my desk chair and bed. It made my room hangless. I'm going to expand this out because it's, I'm looking sideways here. Okay. It made my room cozy and lent an aura of sophistication in a room that was outfitted identically to all the others on that dorm floor. It felt distinctive and made me feel sophisticated, particularly feeling that it was a steal. In retrospect, I think it was me who was stolen from. I sprayed it with a can of Lysol on the first evening not realizing what that simple act of disinfecting what that simple act of disinfecting would dredge up. Or perhaps it was the change of location to a Jesuit university, replete with nuns who rented the next wing. I don't know to this day. So as I blessed it with Lysol, the room took on a less musty smell, and the foul odor of cigars was obliterated. Now allow me to digress a bit about where my dormitory was. At the edge of the small private college. I attended okay. Allow me, I'm sorry, allow me to digress a bit about where my dormitory was. At the end of a small private college, I attended Sitz, the old woman's dormitory, Saint Justina Hall, which was where I was living for two semesters. It was a building, usually requested by co eds who craved the privacy of a single room in order to study in silence, to create works of art or to write. I found myself in my second year at the university for all those reasons, particularly when the rest of the campus seemed, um, seemed avid to attend celebrations of every kind, with beer flowing like a stream, and at times, a river. I moved there to gain some semblance of sanity after finding the beer-swelling freshman who punctuated the halls of the Co- co-ed dorm every weekend where I, I, where, where I was annoying and unproductive. The ensuing vominess in the common bathrooms proved too much for me. I got it, okay. I was on the top floor of this three-story building, built around the 19th century. On this floor, there were about 20 single rooms and a large common bathroom equipped with shower stalls and toilets. My room was at the very end of the wing. At the extreme opposite of the wing that was rented at the time by nuns of the Dominican order. Habitless, but chaste by habit. Thus, by virtue of its location at the edge of the campus, where two sides faced a forest on one and one a quiet neighborhood of older stately homes parentheses old money, the dormitory was very quiet, assuring its privacy and deep study. The first evening after my acquisition of said chair, found me arriving back early from the cafeteria after an early dinner. My plan was to eat early so I could get a head start on reviewing for finals, which was the following week. It was about two weeks before the end of the first semester, which in American universities at that time meant there was a month-long winter break that we were collectively looking forward to after a very demanding semester. I had just been asked by the head of the English department to consider switching my major to English with creative writing in mind. For lack of better foresight, I turned it down as I was bent on pursuing a degree where I could practice as a therapist of sorts, as a clinician. It was primarily when I moonlighted on weekends as a mental health worker at a nearby mental health facility. I told the elegant lady, a full professor, in tweets. I recall enjoying the locked ward, listening to the soft music. Listening to the, hang on a second, this keeps moving up. All right. And, okay, I, I I really apologize for that. I recall enjoying the lock ward, listening to the soft music meant to lull the the manic and anxious, and put into soporific stupor the depressed. I recall a display of half-smoked cigarettes in ashtrays and the chronically sharpened pen- pencils, which here we go. I'm so sorry, and the, and the chronically sharpened pen- pencils, which was a subtle... Which was a subtle demand for us, the staff, to chronicle observations. To chronicle observations of the treatment plants and reports of every shift. EMA for early morning awakening, red dots for watch, yellow for non compliant, and so on and so on. DSM 3, the Diagnostic Standard of Mental Disorders, Axis 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. A book we were learning by heart as part of our part time job. It was not good at the change of shifts to hear someone had escaped, and four-point restraint. I'm sorry, I really apologize. It was not good at the change of shifts to hear someone had escalated, and four-point restraints were used. That meant that if they all restrained, if they all, if they were still restrained in bed by the time our shift began at 3 p.m., we had to take a turn every 15 minutes to do a bed check. Even more so on a suicide attempt. Those watches felt endless. After I acquired the chair, the watch was a delight, or any watch for that matter, as I began dreading going back to my dorm room where the chair sat. On this particular evening, the day of classes completed, I was, I was set with books, writing utensils, highlighters of every color, and note cards to commence reviewing the exams. From the cafeteria, it was a ten minute walk to the dormitory, or a quick two minute hop on the free shuttle bus i picked the ladder as the shuttle bus sat engine idling as i exited the back end of the cafeteria right on time for me just to just hop in and enjoy the falling leaves gracing the grass as it wound its brief travel up the winding slope to the hill that held the stone walls of saint justina Hall. Oh. all of the growing chill and shortened days i looked forward to a hot cup of chocolate marshmallows and a heated review of inorganic chemistry. Yuck. As soon as the dormitory building appeared, the portico visible from my seat, I saw three girls, including the floor's room advisor, standing and appearing to be waiting for me. Surely not me, I thought. As the small bus approached, they saw me seated towards the front of the bus and huddled closer to the curb against the frigid breeze of approaching night, pointedly looking straight at me. The first idea that came to mind was that my mother, my aunt, or my uncle was sick or had some accidents. Needless to say, I bolted on the bus as soon as it stopped out of the portico, and I was the sole passenger, as I was the sole passenger. So here's the story from the advisor, an upperclassman from Long Island. My doormate Jane, a buxom young blonde from down the hall, had knocked on my door. She apparently was hunting for some creamer for her coffee. We were allowed a small refrigerator, microwave, and coffee or teapot in our rooms for convenience. End parentheses. Noting my door was mysteriously ajar, which I never do, as I am security-conscious and I was raised in a security-conscious household, she took it upon herself to allow herself in. Behold, there was a young woman with a fedora hat. There, she said. According to Jane, the woman looked upset and seemed glassing. Glassing? That was when she realized the person she was looking at, someone who wasn't breathing. Oh, I'm sorry. That's that's when she realized that perhaps she was looking at someone who wasn't breathing. The woman just stared back at her in silence. Sitting the woman was. Legs crossed in a flouncy, bluish-white dress, she told the dorm resident advisor. High heels, long sleeves, etc in short, clad in some outfit as if she were waiting for a, for, for a handsome cab on her way to the opera. What the heck? Come on, are you expecting your sister? The advisor asked. I don't have one. And why would she dress that way? I queried. Did anyone let her in? This latter question the advisor asked of the other two girls. Don't know. Your door was unlocked. She turned back to me. I hardly leave it unlocked unless I'm just visiting down the hall or in the shower. Two other doormates, one new this semester (what's her name again?), and a friend of a friend who usually used the piano room at the other end, at the other end near the nuns, stood there gawking. Emmy. She looked frightened, like sardines on white toast, tiny fish eyes staring back in shock. Finally, the group parted. And I walked in out of the cold, and the retinue followed me up the elevator. I wondered if someone played with my lock and stole something from my room. Why my room? Why would she be so dressed up like like she was part of an opera? Plus Denise, my next door neighbor, is extremely nosy. She would have heard if she would have heard if she was home studying, which is what she usually does, eating late at the cafeteria after all the homework papers etc. were done. Maybe that guy who dresses in drag for fun, whom she had been dating, was playing a prank. The exchange student from Germany, Everbrute, or something like that. As the elevator whooshed open, we all exited at the same time, a feat never done before. I had to squeeze past Emmy, whatever in her best shoes, and eternal LLB and Fair Isle sweater. Right in front of me sat Jane in, a cheap, in the cheap short robe, slippers, and shorts. Well, as Tupper, why does Tupper wear plastic in the glare of the fluorescent light that lit the elevator banks? There was someone in your room Elise. My middle name is Elisa. And friends call me Elise as they brutalize Elisa to Eloise. Elsa, and some unspeakable in configuration. I ignored Jane who was still wearing terry shorts under the, the revealing robe and her eternally damp hair despite the growing chill of the late fall. I marched with the retinue behind me, now with Jane as the group. I felt the breath of the room advisor right by my shoulder as she breathed through her mouth, a very irritating habit which left me wondering if she was asthmatic like me as a child. We arrived at the end of the hall, where my door stood wide open. The window in my room somehow ajar, and wide open as well. Papers were strewn all over the floor, and some plastered on the walls. As the window leaves blew in, it was cold. Very cold. She was sitting right there, pointed Jane, her teeth clicking like she was wearing false teeth. Jane was actually scared, which was so unlike the girl I knew who played soccer and hiked the Adirondacks. The advisor strode past me into the room, as if she was on a mission to rectify the situation. She pulled the window shut, levered down, drew the curtains, and turned to me. You need to make sure the window is shut before you leave. With the door open, the entire dorm will freeze. It's flu season. No, really. I wasn't going to argue. I always kept it shut, with the lever down and door locked. Okay, she said. I've seen worse but I hope you can get your term papers back in order, or you'll be typing them all over again. Yep. I began collecting the papers, and the friend of a friend stayed back to help me collect the precious pieces. It was before laptops and cell mobiles. Jane stood in the hall, unsure what to do next, until the room advisor ushered her back down the hall to her room. I'll report the incident to security, okay? I heard parts of Jane's conversation, which went in the vein of, But the woman was very strange. The friend of the friend, plus Marcy from Bridgeport, stacked the rest of my term paper on top of my presswood dresser and said she had to go back to campus and get dinner. Thanks for your help, I said. I think she already ate dinner and was just looking for an excuse to get the heck away from whatever was in my room. Emmy waved goodbye in silence, and her base shoes flicked down the hall, away from my strange room. Alone in the room, I knocked on the wall to rouse my next-door neighbor. Of course, if she had been in, she would have come and joined us by now. No one home, as I expected. I turned up the thermostat by the front door, switched on a few laps by my desk, and turned my back on the chair to switch on my coffee maker to heat some water for chocolate. I turned back around, expecting a woman to be there. No fedora, no glassy lady, just a brocade-covered chair. She must have been smoking reefer. This chain, good. By eleven, I was done reviewing, for the night. A timid rap on my door, Denise. We popped some popcorn in her air popper next door and called it a night after the late news on her little set. I slept dreaming, Jane. I, I slept dreaming. Jane came back with the lady with a high heel with a high heels and fedora hat. The lady was wearing Jane's Terry shorts, and her hair was wet like Jane's. Chapter 3 The end of the week found me contemplating a trip by train to New York. It was a plan hatched by a few friends who wanted to see a play, which back then was not as expensive as it is today, but still not as cheap as I liked. On this occasion, we collectively picked off Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, on this occasion, we collectively picked an off-Broadway, well, oh, it was close, an off-Broadway production. For the life of me, I can't recall the production or the cast, which actually ended up being in Brooklyn. The room advisor, kept keen on keeping her job, remained unduly conscientious, and paid a visit to my dorm room to check that it was locked. It was, Denise told me later. Off we went into Manhattan for lunch, and then to play at 4 p.m., just in time for a late dinner back at on campus. I think I was excited at the time. I forgot I told my friend Sherry from another dorm that if she couldn't find her crib notes for the art history exam, which we both took an elective, she could knock on Denise's door next to me, and she would let her in. We had keys to each other's rooms just in case of a fire, but no one else had my key but Denise. At the duly appointed hour of library study, Sherry, like clockwork, walked down to St. Jay and knocked on Denise's door. Out came Denise, my spare key in hand, and unlocked my door. Before Sherry could turn on the light, she smelled perfume, like an overpowering scent, enough to make her think someone was, was in my room. Remember, I'd sprayed Lysol all over the chair to dispel any scent. It was back. The strangeness, And no, I did not take my mother's <laughs> I can't even say that's how I was. Gonna... I did not take my mother's French perfume with me. Denise turned in the light and began fanning the room with her hands. It was a cloying scent, unpleasantly strong, they recounted. Then they both saw smoke coming from the corner of the room where the chair sat. Both she and Sarah- Sherry smelled it, like a chemistry class. Denise, disgusted, thought I had taken up a habit. What odor was I trying to mask? That could cause, that could cause a fire. The room advisor said later. Denise searched the corner behind the chair. The room looked looked in the trash bin. Denise searched the corner behind the chair. The room looked in the trash bin and couldn't locate why smoke was coming out the corner. Until she looked right at the chair. The chair was smoking. Denise grabbed my coffee mug, filled it with tap water, and approached, examining it ready to douse it and destroy the fabric. Sherry touched the chair, assuming it would be hot to touch. It wasn't. The smoke suddenly disappeared. Then the window blew open. I came back to the dorm to find another group of students waiting for me. This time, the advisor was upset. Two days later, a student, Gina, exited her room just two doors down and saw the same-headed lady in the heels. It came out of my room and floated. Yes, floated towards her. She screamed, and that had everyone running out of their rooms to look. My door was locked, and no sign of the supposed lady. I became famous overnight because of my room. I was holding hostage a woman in distress, wearing outdated clothes. The weekend of the next encounter found me at the hospital, dreading what might happen next, as it seemed that these episodes happened when I wasn't in the room. I was in suspense during the entire shift. I had begun dreading what was happening in my room and what I would brought home with a chair. I kept vigil one night, sitting on my bed with a book open, one eye on the chair, nothing. Back then, I was not into the supernatural and still remember the incidents in the haunted home across the street in the neighborhood where I grew up. A haunted neighborhood, as a matter of fact, a medley of Japanese soldiers buried all over the neighborhood, under the houses. That story was told in detail in my first book, Portal. I didn't need that following me here. A respite from all that chaos and fear now that I was living halfway around the globe. Now, this. Truly, the incidents with my doormates and friend Sherry made the chair less attractive to me. I sought to look for a place to trash the chair if the events continued. The luster of its vintage or supposed vintage status began to ebb like a Volvo with no spare parts. The shift at the hospital was an eventful and rather dull. I passed the key to the ward to people on the next shift, advising them on the notations of the meds that, that had all been given out by the duty nurse without incident. Then I drove back through the quiet roads through town and snaked down the narrow road towards St. Justina Hall at the end of campus. The parking lot next to the dorm was quiet, as expected, being, being, late, being a late Sunday night. The next day, Monday, was the last day for reviews, at least for me, and some of my dorm mates, then midterms, were upon us. Chapter 4 I looked up at my window and noted the dim light, which would be the night light I left on. The next window over was Denise next door, light still blazing. Half my neighbors in the hall were up and the faint sound of violin music and an assortment of Springsteen and Billy Joel could be heard through the windows. Good. A very normal average night before a new week. Elitists and preppies and mysterious Latino Asians, like me, mixed in one building. The elevator whooshed open and the music from different rooms all blended together as some dorm rooms were open. However, as I approached the end of my wing, it became quieter, more subdued. Like an old duck in a lake in a lake of geese. The more studios and okay, the more studio studios ended the wing. I passed Denise's door and stood to unlock mine. A photo of my New York group of friends who trained in Brooklyn with me for a plague pinned to the door. I took it down, noting it came with a note from Dave, my erstwhile flea market buddy, who had hauled a chair of suspicious oranges in his beetle. The photo of the group stared back at me as if accusatory. As I plucked it off, as I plucked it off and entered, tossing my coat on the bed, I noted the room was warm and toasty. I'll get back to Dave later in his note. I proceeded to rifle through my books to prepare to hunker down for the night. My stack of ready notes outlined on 4 x 6 note cards. concept names with a sentence or two on the back to jog my memory, and then shuffled them to help recall on order. This should be fun, as I liked abnormal psychology. In my wheelhouse, as my professor would say, while he touched his handlebar mustache and drummed his growing paunch, this absorbed with the mute name a study. I forgot about Dave's note and settled into my swivel chair. The chair squeaked as the night wore on, screaming to be oiled, and my back yelling for a change of position. So I stood, forgetting I had neglected to get water for the hot chocolate. I would later need that I would later need during my break. And I decided that if Denise was timing her study break, which she often did, the unspoken rule was to take it by midnight. I grabbed the pot from its corner, by the hot plate, and darted out of the hall for the water cooler. Having filled the pot for at least two people, I took my time walking back down to my end of the hall, noting in my slippered feet how silent the dorm had become. I re-entered minutes later to observe that the room had remarkably cooled, so much so that now I felt I needed the hot chocolate sooner than I thought. I turned on the portable electric stove with its two heating elements and plucked down the pot now filled with at least four mugs of hot water. I sat back down on the squeaky chair and thought it squeaked my name, Elise. Ignoring it, I proceeded with my review. Minutes of silence ensued. The kettle began whistling, awaking me from my concentration. Two mugs, which contained hot chocolate powder from Swiss sat from the previous night when I had originally intended to brew. I, expected one, I inspected one mug for ants. Convinced it was still good, I poured the steaming water, hoping the scent wouldn't carry into the hall, inviting an eternal friend, Bernice, who loved food breaks. Sipping, with the hot steam fogging my glasses, I sat on the swivel chair and saw that I had dropped Dave's note on the floor under the, under the chair. I placed the mug on the desk, leaned over to grab the note. A sigh. I paused, pulled away and sat back looked around then i felt the breath near my left ear the chair i was perplexed then i felt sadness then i felt the hairs on my arms go up i shot i shot up from my seat a strong sense of foreboding filled my psyche someone was in my room i moved away turned and bolted from the room out the door into the hallway Denise emerged from her room next door. What's the matter? You won't. My face must have been a mask of fear. The chair. How did you guess? I asked sarcastically as I turned back. Denise flew past me and stood at the threshold of my room. What did you see? I sighed. And the simple act reminded me of what I'd just heard. I heard another intake of breath and leap. Emmy was looking over my shoulder. Please, don't do that again. Denise entered the room, I followed, Emmy at my heels. She picked up the folded note under the chair, handed it to me. It was in Dave's precise handwriting. It would be an architect's, it would be architect's penmanship. Elise, call me. It's about the chair. Chapter 5 I awakened on Denise's floor. The quilt wrapped around my pajama like, like a cocoon. Underneath, I felt the squish of plastic and remembered I was lying on the floor, with Denise's sleeping bag insulating me from the cold parquet floor. I looked up and saw the the fringe of Denise's comforter lying precisely, as she had made her bed prior to to leaving. Bolting up after seeing the sunlight, I realized I was running late for breakfast, and thus the first midterm. In trepidation, I re-entered my unlocked door, recalling the the scare of the previous night and my reluctance to sleep there. I paused by the closet, surveying the small room, my eyes landing on the chair. The sun was streaming from the window, lighting the brocade fabric and reflecting the gold thread. The chair looked cheerful in the daylight, as I had seen it the first time when I sat outdoors at the flea market. Nearby, my bed still held my fresh clothes, which I had laid out prior to bedding down on Denise's floor the night before. The room felt different, with the glow of the sun to dispel what might lie unseen. Relaxing, I quickly changed and ran down the steps, hoping the shuttle bus was at the portico. Of course it wasn't. I ran down the lane, my messenger bag thumping by my side, my slim volume of interview notes with me. No point in taking the books along, as whatever didn't make it to my memory would not be there in the remaining minutes before the two major exams. As I sat in the amphitheater, waiting for the midterm to be handed out, I observed two of the girls from the dorm talking below me towards the front. I looked down at my pencils, not wishing to make eye contact, as the dreadful episodes with my new piece of furniture had by now circulated past my floor of the dorm. I wanted to focus on my exam and hand, and didn't want to deal with the gossip that the chair Initiated. A middle-aged Jesuit priest, dressed in clerical collar, trudged up the aisle, handing out copies of the exam. Since I usually sat high up on an aisle seat, this class was no exception. So he would be handing me the sheaf of papers and the and the, the uh, Hang on a second. Okay, it jumped up. So he would be handing me the sheaf of papers and the small blue notebooks. We were expected to fill in response to five essay questions. The professor, a man also in his late 40s, was passing the blue notebooks, following behind the clergyman. As the priest approached, he paused, making eye contact with me. I recognized him from the ministry, and his office was at the rectory adjacent to the chapel. He was obviously assessing on this day and appeared to recognize me, though I could not recall his name. He stopped by my chair, handed me the exam copies while he studied me. And he asked me to take one and pass and pass the next and pass the rest of the row to my right. Fine. The comfort routine. The comfort of routine. Then he seemed to be deep in thought, grappling with an internal question that seemed to close his lips. I sensed it was important to him. Do you need help? I glanced back, unsure of his meaning. You brought somebody to the dorm recently. Our eyes locked. Oh, that. Yes, that. I looked around, conscious of my seatmate. I can, come and, I can come and bless it if you're willing. I strongly recommend it. I nodded. He gave me the semblance of a smile. I'll call and ask for you, and we can make an appointment. Thank you, Father. The sooner, the better. Yes, Father. He patted me on the shoulder and resumed handing out the exams. I looked forward and caught the eyes of the two girls below me from the dorm. They quickly turned away and faced front. I leaned into the first page of the test. My hands were shaking as I scribbled my name on the test. CHAPTER six. Marcy bolted down the hallway towards me. The soles of her rabbit slippers the soles of her rabbit slippers making a clack, clack, clack sound on the, on the linoleum. I had just exited the elevator and returned from early dinner. She pointed at the phone banks past the common bathrooms. There was a guy named Dave on the phone. I hadn't planned on calling him until the end of the week after midterms were done. It was unlike him. I wondered why it wouldn't wait. I picked up the hall phone. You still have the chair in your room? Um, Yeah then intake of breath. Get rid of it. I'm getting it blessed, if that's what you mean. Get rid of it. Totally. I looked around, checking to make sure no one was within earshot. Of course Jane's door was open. I put the phone down. The cord dangling. I peered into the room past the closet. She must be in the bathroom. Dave, can I come to you? It's more private. Sure. After dinner around seven-ish? I looked at my watch. It was 5.30. I guess this can wait. I'd rather not. Okay. Be here. I'm going to reserve the study room on, on my floor so we can talk. I'll knock on your door. Cool. Bring your books if you need to. Can I stay over? A pause. Oh, shit. No, silly. I don't mean it that way. Dave chuckled. Yeah, okay, I got gotcha. you. D- didn't think so, but you never know pause at least yeah it's bad isn't it on your end i'll tell you when i see you you gotta sell to toss it i'm telling you that weekend i had another shift at the hospital overnight glad for it as i needed to find a ways to sleep chapter seven father newman father newman's dorm was cold Dave's wing was on the right of the quadrangle, a brick building with five floors. All men, okay, all men, in the center was a series of four study rooms, which students who needed quiet on the weeknights could, could reserve ahead for studying groups or, in, or individually if needed. The left wing was all girls. I had my duvet and books with me, a toothbrush and change of clothes. It made it look like Dave and I were into something heavy. As it was midterm week when most people only had studying in mind. However, I didn't care. I didn't want to overstay my welcome with my neighbor Denise. And Bernice, who would have kept me up all night with her television and eternal bag of popcorn, wasn't on my option list. I could have gone to the beach houses and stayed with my art friends, Trey and Lucas. But I didn't but I didn't even dawn it didn't even dawn on me to get this far. I made a note to call them and perhaps visit to let them know my new situation. I truly hated to impose, but theirs would be ideal, as it was an entire beach house. What would be a better excuse? The shuttle would take me there for free, a mere five minutes down the road, facing facing the Atlantic. I stepped up to the front door and a young man, a senior, held the door for me. He winked, and I gave semblance of a grin. I wondered what he was thinking with my change of clothes and the duvet over my shoulder. Oh well, shit happens. The priest hadn't called, and I made a mental note to pay a visit to the ministry office to see if I could discuss what he knew about the chair and the goings-on since it had come into my possession. Suddenly, I had a lot to do besides study and work at the hospital. I needed to unload the chair. It was truly now a pain in my... Dave was his usual self, except I detected he is sleep. His two roommates were both in, hanging out, huddled, with a can of beer each and a hot bowl of popcorn. They appeared ensconced for the night with a movie, and one extended his hand and offered me a beer. Wilt or Winston, Winston or something. He had deep blue eyes and a shock of blonde hair. Taken, I was sure. I thanked him, but declined the offer, as I needed a clear head for a good review of my Renaissance art elective. With his books under his arm, Dave led the way into the study room, with his view of the quadrangle and the students moving to and fro under the streetlights. It was a frosty night. You look like you've been burning the midnight oil. Dave looked at me me askance. I wish it were from studying for the exams, but it's not. I looked back, concerned, guilty, even scolded. Dave leaned back on the armchair after shutting the door. A leather affair, outdated but comfortable. I pulled my knees up, studying him, waiting. studying him waiting. He twirled his pen. Let's say I have not had a good night's sleep since I brought back that chair for you. He peered at me from his Coke bottle glasses. A bit like John Lennon without the goatee. I'm listening. I don't know about you, but the first night back... Yeah? The first night back, I had a nightmare of sorts. Well, a lot of nightmares. I put my feet down and moved the chair closer. I feel bad. I brought this on you. I truly... I saw a woman. Hat like in the 20s. So little heels or something. Like that old... Like that old-fashioned stuff from Roaring. I finished for him. 20s. blue dress. Yep. You saw her too? I now had his full attention. No, but Jane did. Then another girl. Then... I told him everything. Well, it's strange. Here, you know, guys go gaga when they see a woman in the showers. Someone saw her and thought they saw a woman following me into the shower. Tell me again. Hat, like the ones they used in the old days. Bluish-white dress. She was kind of shimmering. This is all in a nightmare. Three nights in a row. Then the night before, you know. You know Ed? The resident priest? Yep. He was the one who saw her follow me into the bathroom great he was nodding with the gravity get rid of it I thought at first I just ate too much at night priests don't take that lightly I'm having it blessed Dave I told you it won't work this thing's got a bad vibe trust me it will only a ghost unlike my old neighborhood Dave shakes his head he nervously taps on the table he looks away in disagreement I need my sleep so do you Just let me get it blessed. If it doesn't work, will you let me take it out and toss it? As in a dumpster? As in a dump site. Somewhere across state lines. Dave was serious. Deal. Let's hear what Joy has to say. Joy was Joy Bernard, a classmate living in the same dorm as Dave, who was reputedly psychic and worked with tarot cards and did seances. Lately, she had been hanging out with us, plus her friend Karen. We were the fringe group. totally. Okay, get blessed, blessed, consult joy, and then we trash it if it doesn't work. This time, Dave looks straight at me. Okay, guys, it's 7.30, so we're going to stop, and we'll continue next week with Chapter 8 of the Victorian Chair. So I hope you guys enjoyed tonight. Let me get up here. I hope you guys enjoyed tonight as much as I did reading this thing. It, it, this is cool. I'm intrigued. I want to keep reading, right? Don't you want to hear more alright so next Sunday you will hear more so at 6 30 p.m. Pacific same time same place okay and I want to thank you all for spending your Sunday evening with me and I, I truly appreciate it and uh, I promise I'll read I'll do a better read next week I'm just getting used to reading off the PDF so <laughs> it just took me a while to get adjusted what sizes I need and all that on the laptop anyway thank you so much tomorrow Joni mayhem is going to be joining us she's a paranormal investigator and she is uh going to be talking to us about her investigations and one particular book that she wrote called haunted Posey county so she's going to be with us tomorrow 6 30 p.m pacific california haunts radio i want to thank all of you for coming again tonight and i really appreciate it and i will see you all tomorrow have a good evening